reading from Isaiah 61, 1-3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come, and with it, the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. Is this the promised land? For 40 years, Pastor Greg promised that you were going to build this. <laughs> year after year, we're going to host next year. <clears throat> a couple years ago, uh, there was a family from the Father's House in Morinville here that moved to Grand Prairie. And they end up going to the same uh, church that my brother goes to. And somehow they ran into each other. <clears throat> and so at some point, uh, he found out they were from Mournville. And so he said to them, do you know the pastor at the Mournville Lions Church? And they said, yeah, he's that bald guy. <laughs> and so my brother told me this, and I said, I think they have me mistaken for someone else. I'm not bald, I just don't have any hair. <laughs> we're going to start this morning by showing you a clip. Did you say you were going to make dinner? I couldn't remember. <sighs> what? I just wish you'd take some initiative and cook your own dinner for once. I've been at work too, you know. And what, now I get to come home and pack the dishwasher and then unpack the dishwasher and cook dinner and put the washing on. And you know what? I can't continue to live like this because hey, it's hey, not hey, me. Hey, 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 relax. It's going to be all right. How? Here, I'll just show you. Okay, I've been doing this since we moved in. See this basket thing? I don't know how it happens, if it's the house or what, but any dirty clothes you put in this basket, somehow the next day they're just clean, folded, and in a perfect pile on your bed. You're not serious. I couldn't believe it at first either, but it just keeps happening. That's why I didn't tell you, I didn't want to jinx it. You are insane. Try it, you'll see. Unless it's only chosen me. See, I don't know. I can't do this. No, wait. There's other things too. Plates, cutlery, pizza boxes, dirty tissues, anything you leave on this coffee table just vanishes overnight. And then sure enough, the next day, it's all gone. It's just vanished. It's magic. No, she wouldn't have left me. This is what I think happened. I heard her get up in the middle of the night to get a drink or something. She must have fallen onto the magic coffee table and just vanished. Are you insane? No, he's not insane. 
I've got the same coffee table at home. Jesus' life, death, resurrection was not a magic act. Rather, it was the power of God to save. Christ dying on the cross does not make any sense to some people. But to those who've been transformed by its touch, it means everything. Let's pray. God, it's amazing how you do your work in mystery in the quiet places. We often have everything figured out, or at least we think we do. Help us to be open to how you want to work in our lives, even if it isn't the way that we have planned it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text today is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18-31. I'm going to read it to you. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. For it's written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I'll thwart. Where's the one who's wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolishness the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand the signs, the Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. <clears throat> but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom. And God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world. Things that are not to reduce nothing the things that are. So that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption in order, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The city of Corinth was a commercial trade center, probably a key city in Greece. Philosophy and Greek thought were prevalent throughout the church. The theme in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church is the internal issues that they're struggling with. Even though they're functioning in the spiritual gifts endowed by the Holy Spirit, their lives appear to be somewhat falling short of God's standards. People will say that we need to be more like the first century church. The problem is we're probably too much like them already. It's so easy for all of us to focus on secondary issues which lead to divisions and hurt feelings. Paul begins this passage affirming what should be essential in every Christian's life. If he can reestablish what the glue is that brought them together, he'll be able to reestablish their unity. In 1 Corinthians 1, 18-25, we see the message of the cross symbolizes both death and life. In verse 18 it says, For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. 
The New Living Translation puts it like this. It's foolishness to those who are on the path of destruction. For Paul, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who are perishing without Christ and those who are being saved by his message of grace. The message of the cross challenges our self-centeredness. The attitude that we're invincible, that we can do it on our own. For those who respond to his message find themselves in an interdependent relationship with God by placing their trust in Christ. God had a wonderful plan to restore us in relationship with him and each other. Verse 19 says, it'll destroy the wisdom of the wise. Why it seems foolish to some is that God's way doesn't fit our personal agendas. Rarely it does. The evidence of Jesus dying on the cross seems foolish to those who have not experienced the very power of God to save. Verse 20, has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Corinth was the center of Greek thinking and philosophy. Aristide said that on every street corner in Corinth, one met a so-called wise man. I'm sure there were wise women too. Who had his solutions to the world's problems? So it is today with self-help books everywhere. We hold out for the hope that if we had the right program, more money, a more effective plan, we could solve the world's problems. But it won't happen. Until people can be changed from the inside out, we will continue to act selfishly without respect or love for one another. When we surrender our lives to God and acknowledge how we've wronged Him and wronged others, we begin the healing process in our own lives. He takes our brokenness and selfishness and replaces it with a love that goes beyond our fragile hopes. We're now able to love others because we feel loved ourselves. In 1 Corinthians 22, it says, The Jews demanded miraculous signs to validate Jesus' ministry. And the Greeks were looking for wisdom and human ideals. But the cross was a stumbling block to both. Many Jews considered the crucif crucifixion a confirmation that Jesus had been cursed by God for some sin of his own. In Deuteronomy 21-23, it says, Anyone hung on a tree is under God's curse. The Greeks found many aspects of Jesus' death foolishness, a suffering God, a criminal Messiah, a way to God not based on human speculation. But to those who've been transformed by the power of God, we see God's wisdom. What appears to be humanity as foolishness and the weakness of God is wiser and stronger than we will ever be. Fleming Rutledge's book, The Crucifixion. She says, The preaching of the cross is an announcement of living reality that continues to transform human existence and human destiny for more than 2,000 years after it originally occurred. The cross continues to change people's lives. When Louis XII became the king of France, he had had some problems getting there. He had a lot of enemies. He was in prison, in chains, and persecuted. Those around him said, you must punish. You must show revenge. If you don't wipe these people out, they'll come back to haunt us. 
He wasn't convinced. The king made a list of all the people who had wronged him, all his enemies in black. And then beside each one, he put a red cross all the way down. When his enemies heard this, they realized he was putting a hit list out on them. They fled the country. But this is what Louis XII said. I drew the cross beside each name. It was not a sign of punishment, but a pledge of forgiveness extended for the sake of the crucified Savior, who upon his cross forgave his enemies and prayed for them. The message of the cross symbolizes both death and life. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31, we see that all we are and all we have has come to us through Christ. Paul continues addressing his audience by saying in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, not many of you were considered wise by human standards or powerful or lacking noble birth. The people who experienced God's grace were not on the top of the world. They were not the rich and the famous. You would think the average person would not be God's first pick of who he would reveal himself through. Shepherds in their field at night. But God is a way of turning things right side up. He uses ordinary people because sometimes they have a better sense of who they are and who they are not. It's often in the midst of difficulties that we come to grips with the fact that we cannot do this on our own. That we need God. People who presently have everything going for them give off the perception that they have the world by the tail. In effect, hiding their frail, hollow existence. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, God used the apparent weak and foolish to shame the wise. When people make themselves available to God, the master can do anything through them. In Acts 4, when Peter and John healed the lame man, they were arrested by the religious leaders, and this is what they said about two former fishermen. In Acts 4.13, when they saw the courage and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, how many are you unschooled? They were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. <clears throat> In 1 Corinthians 1.29, <clears throat> it says, God picked such people so no one might boast in the presence of God. We have an uncanny ability as a people to take credit for everything that goes well and shift the blame for all of our failures. But God does such wonderful things in our lives for it to suggest it was our doing would only be fooling ourselves. The text includes in verse 30 and 31 declaring, God is the source of their lives in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God, righteousness, sanctification, redemption. The New Living says it like this. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. Therefore, the scripture says, if you have anything to boast in, boast in the Lord. Our faith in Christ is not based on our eloquent speeches, or craftiness, or persuasion. Rather, it's based on people's lives who've been transformed from the inside out. There's no playing games. Either we're more loving, gracious, and forgiving people because of Christ, or we're not. Anyone looking in from the outside knows whether there's been a transformation change in our lives. 
John Richardson wrote a book called Peace Child. He tells the story of the Sawe people, Papua New Guinea. And they were a vicious people. They were cannibals. They were headhunters. The heroes, their folklore of their culture was this. Someone from their tribe would befriend someone from a different tribe. And they would become fast friends with them. And when the other person completely trusted them, they killed them and ate them. Talk about being stabbed in the back when you weren't looking. They called it fattened friendship for the slaughter. When Don and his wife began tried to explain to them the path of Jesus Christ, of what he can do in a person's life, uh, how he died on our part. The Sawi people could see right through the story and they realized the hero of the story was Judas because Judas had tricked and deceived Jesus. They weren't sure how they were going to communicate until one day it changed everything. The Sawi people were trying to make peace with another tribe and what they did was each village sent a child from their village to the other people. And they said they knew they could trust somebody who would give them their child. And Don said, this was the answer to our prayers. He said, God came and sent Jesus Christ, his son, as the peace child to bring relationship with us and with God. Fleming Rutledge's book again, The Crucifixion. The four Gospels were designed, each according to their own perspective, to show after the fact how Jesus' sacrificial life led to his sacrificial death. Luke 9, 44. Jesus' deliverance of the possessed boy astonishes the onlookers. Whereupon he says, let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is to be delivered into human hands. He's come to die so we could live. In this season of preparing ourselves for God to have his way in, his in our lives, we ask him to search our own hearts. Are we most concerned about the things of our world and culture deem important? From the latest technological gadgets, to the computer world, to fashion, to beauty, to wealth, to fame. I, I, I'm always struck by the fact that when difficulty hits us as the people of God, we're always stumped and shocked and surprised. If God loves me, why would he allow this to happen to me? And yet Jesus, throughout his life on this planet, sacrificed himself, suffered, and then told us to do likewise. Although we use many of these conveniences daily from bank machines to swiping credit cards at the pump, all of a sudden, my tap stopped working in the last day or so. I'm going to call my credit company. Do we talk to people anymore? Do we care what's happening in our neighbors' lives? Have we simply isolated ourselves, insulated ourselves from a hurting world that's all around us? What makes Paul's message so impacting is that down through the centuries, we've all battled selfishness. The self-centeredness that at the heart of rejecting this good news is based in our sinfulness. The wisdom of any, uh, any of us who seek in this life 
needs to be based on the truth of the cross. Have we allowed the good news of Christ's life, death, and resurrection to free us? Or does it still seem like foolish talk? It may have not been the way that you would have done it. It certainly was not the way that I would have done it. For God's only son to die for my sins makes no sense to me. The cost is too great. It makes me want to believe there was another way. But God's plans always turn out as the best plans. As a result, I experience total freedom. I'm a new person in Christ. We not only have the opportunity to experience freedom in Christ personally, but we have the opportunity to share this transforming news with our neighbor by how we live. Jesus' sacrificial life led to his sacrificial death. What would it look like for you to live a sacrificial life? Let's pray. God, help us to see beyond our own personal agendas and ideas so we can begin grasping what is essential in our lives, and that's Christ and Him crucified. All we have has come from you. We want to thank you for your goodness to us. What seems like foolishness to some has brought us hope and a new life. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to do a benediction, and then we're going to sing. As you go, go under the sign of the cross, knowing that Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension has brought each of us life. Amen. Why don't you stand with us and we'll continue to sing. Close with uh, a song this morning. All about seeing the victory. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. When the darkness fades, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. My God will never fail. My God will never fail. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory for the
enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil, and you turn it for good. You turn it for good. I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory for the Easter weekend. Be blessed and just go in peace and hope and expectation for what yeah. God's going to do in your life this year. Amen. Amen. Awesome. And enjoy the treats. They're out on the tables. Stay for coffee and fellowship. God bless you. By the way, if it's getting a little bit tight out there in the fellowship hall, feel free to come back in. You can come back into the auditorium, all right? <laughs> 